Hey y'all, welcome to Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B, and I'm so excited that you're back with me for another episode. I was originally intending to release both parts of this episode back to back, um, but Corona got in the way and I threw a few extra things in between, but we're back on schedule now. So let's continue this conversation. But before we deep dive, just wanted to say thank you all for your feedback for last week's episode, Black, Christian, and Gay. And thank you so much to my guest host for his transparency, his honesty, and his straight up foolery. Okay, we clown so bad recording the episode. You guys, have made it clear that y'all want a part two and that's something that I am working on. I'm not quite certain if I'm going to do it in between seasons or next season or where it will land. But in the meantime, I'd like for you to DM me your questions so that whenever we do record the part two of Black, Christian, and Gay, I want to make sure that we are addressing the questions that came up for you during the first part of it. And I love that. I love that you guys want to like take a deeper dive and that you and that you have more questions because that tells me you want to understand. And that to me is beautiful. I love it. I knew it would be one of those episodes that could be considered very controversial, but I really appreciate those of you who have reached out to me to share your thoughts about it. It means a lot to me. It really, really does. So thank you. So DM me your questions on Instagram or Facebook at Shades of Brown Podcast, or you can reach out to me personally on Instagram at Allie underscore Brit. So yeah. Are y'all surviving in quarantine? What's going on? What's going on? At the time I've been recording this, it's like day 20 in quarantine for me. So I'm like, ooh, I'm ready to be out, ready to be free. But I'm making it though, just trying to remain at peace. I've been noticing online and, and a lot of you have been noticing the same thing. It's like this, Um, we have a really good, our culture does a really good job of shaming everybody for just about everything. And this global pandemic is no exception. So the latest thing is everyone's saying you got to be using this time to be developing a new skill and figuring out a new grind, a new hustle, and um, all these things that will require so much of your time and energy. And listen, that's dope. That's great for those of us who are using this time to try and maximize it and remain in a creative space and do all the things that we feel that we haven't had the time to do before now. That's phenomenal. However... If all you do in this corona quarantine time is to rest, to regroup, to refresh, if that's what you've been needing, do that. And don't feel bad about it. If you go on a Netflix binge for 12 hours, do it. Go for it. Do whatever is best for you in this time. A lot of us are just in survival mode for this time period, and we're just trying to figure things out. All of this is unprecedented, and we're just trying to make it through this. So do what's best for you. If what's best for you is tapping into, like I said on the Quarantine 15 episode, like tapping into your creative side and figuring out what you can create and invent, do that. Do that because we need what's inside of you. However, if you are struggling with anxiety and you are on the verge, on the edge, chill, relax. Clearly, clearly God is telling the entire world to slow down. So why are we pushing everyone to remain busy, to stay busy? No, the whole point for us is to just slow down, to just relax, fall back a little bit, chill. So I'm just saying, hey, let's chill on judging everyone for every single thing that they do. Like you do what's best for you, whatever that looks like, period. Now, 
who we should be shaming are the people who can't sit their tail down at home. Let's shame them. Sit your tail down somewhere. I am judging. I am. Because it's like, it's like it's not it's not that difficult to understand how this virus works at this point. We know that symptoms may not arise for quite a while. Yet some of y'all just insist on being out and about, coming in contact with people who you have no idea who they've been in contact with. It's like this is not this is not rocket science. Sit your tail down. The quicker you get inside the house and sit down for two weeks, the quicker we can be out of this. But no, y'all need extension after extension after extension. And I, for one, am tired of being at home. I'm ready to be free. But y'all just got to be out here in these streets thinking that the blood of Jesus is going to cover y'all like he did the children of Israel. Well, they were inside the house when the Passover came. The blood covered them inside the house. Get your tail in the house where the blood can keep you and cover you. Okay? Jesus. But other than that, let's stop judging people. <laughs> Hopefully y'all making it though. Hopefully y'all surviving Corona. All right. Um, let's get into more of this Jesus in therapy conversation. Let's continue to unpack it. Now that we know that, now that we know that it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too, I want to talk about why it's been so taboo for black folks to talk about therapy and to actually go to therapy. I have concluded in my own finite mind that it boils down to three things, um, religion, slavery, and just generational differences. I want to do this deep dive one because, you know, I just love peeling back the layers and digging deep, you know, and unpacking things. I really do. But two, I think if we can understand the why, we can move beyond it and like course correct. So let's do that. Let's correct some of our perceptions or let's I won't even say correct. Let's transform or let's evolve from our past or current um, perceptions of things regarding mental wellness. So, yeah, like many of us, I grew up in a very religious environment that emphasized total reliance on God. Like straight up prayer is the answer to everything. Just pray it away. You're going through something. Pray it away. We've all heard it. You know, pray your troubles away. And if you're going through, you ain't praying hard enough. And this teaching had a few different effects on me. Looking back, I can see that now. It had a few different effects on me. And I believe that the same could be true for many of us in our culture. For one, it taught me that if prayer alone was enough, then if my prayers didn't come through, that must mean that I'm not in right standing with God. If he's not getting my prayers, he's not answering them. Maybe there's something wrong with my relationship with him, which I then internalized as, well, then something must be wrong with me, which brought on feelings of condemnation, shame, guilt, et cetera, et cetera. Because if you are in right standing with him, of course your prayers work because, you know, the prayers of the righteous availeth much, you know? So it's like, why mine ain't working? Something wrong with me? And it, it had me to where I was judging my own self. Looking back, I can see where like, man, I just cannot, you know, why is he hearing me and all these things? What is wrong with me? What what am I doing so wrong that, you know, these issues persist or whatever the case may be? Another effect it had on me was if prayer alone was sufficient, then the people, the believers, you know, the Christians, the churchgoers who I was around, if these people were on maybe some medication or antidepressants or people who were just constantly in turmoil or always down, these folks who were just, it seemed like perpetually or constantly dealing with issues, I would start to be like silently judge them. Like they must not be tapped in child. They must ain't got no power. They must ain't got no oil because they stay going through. 
because my God is a healer and my God shall supply all your needs. So you must got something going on with you because you ain't right yet, you know, and it was rooted in that teaching that prayer alone was enough. So if and you find in your life prayer is not enough, then you got something wrong with you. And that belief system is so flawed on so many levels, on so many levels. And I can just looking back, see how that teaching, how it had so many lasting effects on the way I thought about things and the way that I dealt with things, dealt with life, dealt with external situations and challenges. Straight up, just I just feel that when we continue that type of teaching, we are doing a disservice to all that are listening to it. Because I don't want this to be a controversial statement, but it's just not even logical. <laughs> like what? Like it's not even like we we we've we've heard this analogy before. You know the whole you know if your arm break you you don't pray the way you go see, see a doctor. And it's the oddest thing because a lot of black folks will run to the doctor real quick, <laughs> like for the simplest things. You know you cough and you got to run to the doctor. You got to get a shot. Got to get a whatever. You know. Um, so we don't, we have no issue with going to see doctors. We have no issue with going to see professionals when it comes to our bodies. But I mean, black folks stay with some high blood pressure medicine and some, all the things like we, we, we've had not had any issue going to see professionals to assist us in our journeys to health physically. But somehow when our minds aren't right, it's like, oh, baby, oh, let's, 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 let's travail and let's war because it's just the enemy. It's the trick of the enemy. That phrase is starting to be a trigger for me. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus, it takes me back to a place every time I hear it. Anyways, I digress. We just do a disservice when we continue that teaching. Let's, let's not do that. Let's not, let's not continue that teaching. But you know what? To those who believe prayer alone is sufficient. All right, I'll go along with you for a second. Let's say you're right. Prayer alone is sufficient for our mental wellness. Well, I would say to that then, when I pray to God, he always requires a response from me. He requires that I do something, whether it is an act of faith, whether it's an, an actual physical action, doing something, saying something, going somewhere, um, trying something like he, he doesn't just be speaking just to be speaking. Like usually there's an action behind it. You know, like there's usually an act if I'm praying for a house. Well, he's going to require that I actually go find the house. Like there are steps that I have to take in this literal earth realm, you know, in response to what he said about whatever prayer I prayed about this house. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, yeah, like we, we know this in so many other areas, yet we somehow draw this hard line of the sand when it comes to our mental wellness. And it's just not the case. So, yeah, I'll give you that. All right. Prayers. Prayer alone is sufficient. But maybe... The response he's needing from you is to actually go sit with the professional to talk about it. As for the um the like generational differences, I do think that that's a key part as to you know why we have considered conversations around mental wellness taboo. A lot of generations that came before millennials, they were the folks who say you know be strong and suck it up and pull up your bootstraps, you know, do what you got to do, and that's that like survival mentality. It's like that. We did it. So you should be able to do it as well. We got through. We made it through. So you'll be all right. You know, you'll be all right, too. Or like, you know, that whole idea that, no, that's for them. That's not for us. You know, white folks do that. We don't do that. We don't need all that because it's not that serious. You ain't got to be telling your business to strangers. You ain't got to be going sit nobody, sitting with nobody who you don't even know. How can you even trust them? I don't need to talk to nobody. What goes on in this house stays in this house. Like, I feel like these statements, these this rhetoric is generational. 
And some of this, you know, like a lot of that, a lot of that we should praise, you know, like the whole mentality that you just do what you got to do to just figure it out. Like that is commendable. That is honorable. And on behalf of all millennials, we are grateful to those who came before us who just figured it out. But because you figured it out, we now have the ability to like to build on that. We just want to evolve from like just figuring it out to like not living on a whim and like not being in survival mode all the time. Like I feel that we should evolve from surviving to thriving to like for real, like living for real. Life is for living, you know, and that looks differently than just always having to just figure it out. And now we have the means to get help. (laughs) So like, let's take advantage of that and let's promote that. Let's promote being better than the last generation. I would hope that the generation following millennials would be better than us. I would hope that the ones following them would be better than Generation Z. Like that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be evolving continually, right? But even that though, that that, that generational thing, it's just, we know how it works. Things, you know, they get passed down from generation to generation. We are all products of our environments. You know, we tend to pass down habits, values, belief systems, We know how this works, you know, and for the most part, there's nothing wrong with this. But what is wrong is when we keep passing down dysfunction and, you know, excusing it because, well, that's just how it's always been. When dysfunction shows up, somebody got to say, hey, something ain't right. We got to switch some stuff up. Just because we've been like making it work to this point doesn't mean that we've been living well, you know, or operating to our fullest. So like, let's change it. As I said on part one, I believe And I'm almost certain that studies back this up. But I believe that trauma affects our whole community as Black folks. And I'm talking specifically Black Americans. And even more than that, particularly Black Americans in the South, due to the constant reminders um, of our history in America and the overt racism that exists there. Yes, racism exists everywhere in America. Um, It is just more overt in the South. It's more in your face. I mean, they straight up still got flags, Confederate flags flying everywhere. Like, it's just in your face. It's constant reminders, you know? So that's why I emphasize, you know, Southern Black Americans. Because there for sure are regional differences when it comes to Black families. I have learned the hard way. As I mentioned in part one, you know, trauma has the ability to affect us on a biological level. And if and when our DNA is altered, that will consequently affect the generations to follow. Slavery was straight up traumatic for those who endured it. And I'm certain that there were those who were changed biologically. And we are their legacy. So it's not hard for me to believe that many in our Black communities in America suffer from PTSD. That doesn't shock me because of our history in this country. Our ancestors did not have access to therapy, okay? They were the ultimate survivors. They were strong and we honor them. We are thankful for them. And I know we talk about our ancestors as if they are so far removed. But for my family in South Alabama, we can trace the first free man in our family. We know who the last slave was in my bloodline, you know? So it's it's not it's not far down the line, you know? It was my, my dad's great granddad. That's not, that's not, you know, like a long line of folks. No, we know his name. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I say that to just, you know, to put some respect on their name. Like we honor their strength. We honor um, them for surviving. We thank them for surviving. 
But we don't do them any favors by not dealing with our stuff for the sake of saying, well, they got through it. The, the folks who came before us got through it. We don't do them any favors. They didn't have access to what we have access to today. And we don't honor them by keeping traditions that were forced on them. They leaned on their faith and relied on God in a way that was so freaking beautiful. But I'm sure, I am certain, <laughs> I am certain that many of them would have taken the opportunity to talk to somebody certified and professional if they could have. There is no way you can witness what they witnessed and endure what they endured and not be traumatized. They weren't neglecting their mental health. They just didn't have the means to care for it. But we do. Us neglecting ourselves for the sake of saying, well, you know, we've just always done it this way and, we, and we've always turned out okay. Should we settle for okay? I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. We all see that meme floating around that says, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. I really want to embody that, though, in every way that I can. I want to be my ancestors' wildest dream. If our ancestors were, were to see us today, I would want them to say, I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad I didn't jump overboard. I'm glad I made it through. I would want them to like be like, we did it for them. You know, like we survived for them. So yeah, like... I get it. We pass down these habits and we somehow think that we are weaker if we need more than what those who came before us needed. But that is just not the truth. They needed it too. They just didn't have access to it. But we do. And I'm telling y'all, <laughs> on a lighter note, our ancestors, they did not fight that hard to survive just for us to be ate up in the mind, just for us to be straight up cuckoo. They just did not fight that hard. Like, come on, we have access to like take care of ourselves. Let's do that. Going to therapy does not make us weak. Let's just kill that. We need to take care of ourselves. We have to be the best stewards we can of ourselves. This is all we got. The body we live in, the mind we got, this brain, like this, this is it. <laughs> this is it. So yeah, that got really heavy. So let me shift gears. Maybe after listening to the first part of this and now you thought, hmm, well, maybe I can give it a try, but maybe you're not sure like where to start. I want to share with you just a few things from my experience that may help you. Firstly, if you're thinking about going to therapy, which if you are, God bless you for taking the first step. If you are already in therapy, claps to you. You're dope. So yeah, if you're thinking about starting therapy, first be sure to find out what your insurance covers. Also check to see if your employer provides free counseling. Some companies have on-site counselors. Some companies have online therapy that you can access for free. Just check your benefits and see maybe if there's something there that can get you on this journey. If you don't have insurance, determine if it will be reasonable for you to budget this type of service in, if it'll be reasonable for you to, you know, seek out therapy. I do understand and I acknowledge that accessibility to therapy is a thing. And I was just talking about us having access and I said that on a general scale, right? Like what no therapy for our ancestors when they was enslaved, okay? But we actually have it available. But I do understand that just because we have it available does not mean we all have the same access to that. Um, and that's a whole other conversation in itself. And I'll just say this. This is why we got to vote for people who prioritize access to health care for everybody. Um, but yeah, if you don't have insurance and you don't just have a bunch of extra money to be shelling out on therapy, just see if it's something you can budget in maybe once a month, maybe every quarter. But I would for sure suggest to start putting some pennies aside and stacking them to at least treat yourself to a session every now and then. Save up for it if you have to. I think that any sacrifice you make to do this, it would be more than worth it. So once you've confirmed your coverage and you figured out, you know, your therapy budget, then you begin researching therapists. 
Just as you got to visit multiple churches to find the right one for you, you got to do the same thing for therapy. Some of us are lucky to find an amazing therapist the very first time. Some of us aren't. But don't be discouraged if your first therapist is whack. You got to find the best fit for you. A tool that I love using is Psychology Today. Um, I go on there whenever I'm looking for a counselor. That's where I go first because there you can, you know, they have a great search tool where you can filter out to make sure that you're looking for people who are in your insurance network. And then you can filter out by um, all kinds of things. You can filter by gender. You can filter by race. You can filter by their specialties. You can filter by their degrees, all those things. I would suggest using that tool. If you have a better tool, please share with us. Go in the comments on Instagram at Shades of Brown Podcast and share with us in the comments what you have used um, to find a therapist. And when you're searching, this is when you determine what factors are important to you. So like, does it matter if they share the same faith as you? Does it matter if they're a Christian or not? Does it matter if they're a woman or not? And if it does, you can filter. Are you looking for a therapist with a specific specialty? Maybe they specialize in anxiety and depression, or maybe they maybe you're looking for someone who specializes in family counseling or marital counseling. Maybe you're looking for someone who specializes in inner child healing. But there are even therapists who specialize in internet addiction. This is the real thing. So consider what you need and search accordingly. For me, a factor that is really important is their race. I didn't know that this would matter to me until I knew it mattered to me. I think we should all consider cultural competency. When I first decided to go to therapy, I didn't know what to look for. I didn't I didn't know. So I just did what was convenient. The company that I was working for at the time, they had an on-site counselor that we could see free of charge. I just could, you know, email her, set up an appointment and go see her during my work day. So that's what I did. It was an older white lady who was my first counselor. Um, and our very first session, it was so incredibly eye-opening. It was super helpful, super helpful. But at the time I was living in Utah, which is a state that is less than 2% black and that has so many implications. So yeah, in our first session, of course, she asked me a bunch of personal questions, you know, to figure out, you know, why I'm there, what I need, all those things, how she could help me. Um, So I shared with her a lot of things. Um, I shared with her my experiences up until that point. I shared with her even how my blackness affected my everyday experience living in, in a place like that, living in a place that's so white and how that contributed to what I was going through at the time. And at the end of the session, I remember her being so intrigued by, um, she was so caught off guard by like, huh? Like she was so interested in getting to know more about how my race, how like being, you know, a black person in such a white space, like, huh, that must, that must be different, huh? Like, huh, never thought about that. Man, y'all must have it pretty rough. And she began to um, become more intrigued with that aspect of it than anything else. And I did see her one more time after that, but it was almost like I was helping to open her eyes. Let me add this. Utah is also a Mormon state, so it makes it extra special. Um, So this lady is also, the counselor was also a Mormon. So like I could feel from her like, huh, well, here I am a white, a white Mormon lady. You know, everything's comfortable and convenient and familiar to me. You know, like I never thought about how a person who is other could feel being in a space like this where the majority, the vast majority is all one thing. And it was almost like I was helping her to check her privilege or biased or whatever. And I'm like, fam, I'm not here to help you. I'm here so you can help me. Uh-uh, we're not doing that. And it was just this weird, like, you know, like, you know, when you, you find these people who aren't racist, it's like that, the opposite extreme of it to where it's like, they just, they want to help black folks so bad because they just feel sorry for us because man, it's just, we just must have it so bad and, and they can just be our white savior and come in and save the day and be the hero. And I don't, <laughs> I do not subscribe to that white savior complex thing. 
And I was feeling that from her, like, man, I just, let me just help you because you just must have it so rough. Me even bringing up my blackness, it was just specific to that particular time. You, you know, me coming from the South as a black girl, country girl from the South, going to this space that where nothing is familiar. I mean, nothing is familiar. Everything is foreign. Down to simple things. Like, it was just such a weird time and space for me and it affected me at my core. Um, So me sharing about my blackness was just a part of it. It wasn't the thing, you know. I'm not depressed because I'm black. So yeah, I just, I, I, after two sessions, I was like, you know, this isn't going to (laughs) work. This isn't going to work. And I remember being discouraged because I'm like, dang, um, well, I tried, you know? So it took months for me to, um, find someone who could even remotely relate. The closest thing I got was, um, a mixed lady who was from there, who was from Utah, which she was phenomenal, by the way. I say that to say how hard it was to find a black therapist in Utah. And I remember at that moment, in, in that time, I didn't have language for this, you know, concept of cultural competence. Um, but I remember hearing Taraji P. Henson talk about it on The Breakfast Club when she was sharing her journey and trying to help her, I believe, her son and her starting a couple of initiatives. And she brought this up and I was like, that's why I didn't mesh with that counselor. That's why I knew it was something. I knew it wasn't crazy. Um, So, yes, race for me is very important because, um, you know, maybe I want to go to therapy and talk about how I was triggered by microaggressions at work that week. You know, maybe I want to go in and talk about um, another, you know, situation of a unarmed black kid being killed. You know, maybe I want to express my frustration about those kind of things. I want to not only have someone who is professionally skilled, but also empathetic to my reality. And I have found that other black folks are best fit for me because of those reasons. So if that kind of thing is important to you, consider cultural competence. Because we see so many disparities in healthcare with people of color, just in general, across the board, I do the same thing with all of my healthcare providers. I want culturally competent healthcare providers across the board. So my primary physician is Black. My dentist is Black. My chiropractor, my new chiropractor is black. (laughs) Um, My therapist is black. So like for me, it's very important because we see time and time again how racism affects our health care. You know, there are countless, countless, countless stories of how we have not been treated properly. We have not been cared for properly. How the health care system has failed us because of the color of our skin. So, yes, I take this across the board. Cultural competency is very, very important when it comes to our healthcare. It may not be on the top of your list when you're thinking about it. And I understand that everyone doesn't have access to black healthcare providers. I get that. But if you can seek them out and also because, you know, we want to support black businesses. Okay. Support black owned businesses. Let's do that. (laughs) But that is a whole other episode. So yes, once you've, you know, gone through those steps, and you have found, you know, a therapist, book them, book the appointment, try it out and continue this process until you have found the right match. But don't give up, though. Don't give up. It is worth it. Getting your mind right is worth it. Get your mind right. So, yeah, y'all, thanks for listening to this deep dive into mental wellness and how it affects our communities. So, yeah, that was a lot of unpacking. Let's get into the last segment. Brownie points, quarantine edition. What are you giving yourself brownie points for this week? As y'all know, this is where we give ourselves kudos. This is where we love on ourselves a little bit more for doing something amazing. It could be so simple or it can be super major. Whatever it is, find something to celebrate yourself for. 
for this Corona edition of Brownie Points, I'm giving myself Brownie Points for eating at home every single day for the past 20 days, with the exception of twice. That's it. Like, that is unheard of. O-M-G. I do not like cooking. Well, let me take that back. I like cooking. I just don't like cooking for one person. It's just me. I don't like leftovers. I end up wasting money. I end up wasting food. And for all y'all that swear to God that it is cheaper to buy groceries for one person, that is not the truth. It may not be way more expensive, but it is most certainly not cheaper. Please stop believing. Stop believing that crap. For one person to always cook, bruh, this is for the birds. But I have been eating leftovers. I ain't gonna lie and tell y'all I've been eating a lot of leftovers because I do still have some stuff in my refrigerator that's just sitting there. And will eventually be thrown away. But I've been eating every meal at home. This is major for your girl. And I am very proud of myself that I have not gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Because I haven't been able to go to get brunch or mimosa or hear live music while I eat my French toast. Like, I'm, I'm, I've been at home eating and cooking and then cleaning the dishes after I cook. Like, man. I am really, really proud of myself. I mean, I guess I have the time, so you know, but this is, for those of y'all that know me, y'all feel me, this is major. So yeah, that's what I'm giving myself brownie points for. Head over to Shades of Brown's Instagram and or Facebook page and share with me what your Corona edition brownie points are. I wanna hear. All right, y'all. I hope y'all have enjoyed part two of this conversation. This is something that I am super passionate about. So this will not be the last time we talk about mental wellness or things related to um, faith and science. So yeah, let me know what you thought. And hopefully you'll be back for next week's episode. All right, y'all. Y'all take care. Stay prayed up. Stay at home. Stay your stuff inside unless you have to be out and Pray for the world and the nation and the leaders and the frontliners and just just pray. Pray for all the people. All right, y'all. Until next week. Bye.